right. Good morning. I'm glad to see you this week. Glad you're here today. I pray that you had a very blessed and a, a, a great week. I'm going to ask you today to, to, to pay particularly close attention. I'm not saying you don't in other weeks, but I'm asking you today because the text is one that has been uh, uh, one of, it's one of those texts where angels fear to tread. Um, it's a text that has been a source of great contention uh, within the church. The, in our own indwelling sin, the influence of culture on the church has skewed for us what is actually a blessing from God. Today, we're going to hear the admonition for wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord and for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, perhaps you've already gotten lost on the word submit. Please do not let any preconceived notions rule your thoughts. Do not get stuck on words. You know, it is our habit to explain words, not what we think words are, but what God says words are. Let the Word of God speak today. And perhaps you're already saying, well, I'm out. I'm not married. No, today's passage is for everybody. It is not just for those who are married. God's commands are for the benefit of all of His children. If you're single today, this passage will help you if you take it to heart to help you in your God-ordained role in marriage if and when God grants that to you. If you're older today or perhaps widowed, this passage is also for you. For the scriptures tell us that the older are to teach the younger. And in particular, the older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands, Titus 2, 4 to 8. If you have an unsaved spouse today, and many of you do, this passage is also for you. Today you will be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and will do for you what your spouse can't. I heard the term today, if you are spiritually single today, Jesus does for you what your spouse does not do. If you're divorced, this is the same for you also today. So with all of this in mind, I ask that you stand as we seek God's help in prayer, in understanding and applying His Word. Let's pray. Father, the work has been put into understanding the text, and the rest is up to you. I pray, Lord God, for the presentation of your Word. We pray, Lord, that in my tone, my passion, or nothing gets lost, Lord God, but just the love of God comes through. We pray, Lord God, that we hear from you, that, it, that you would test our thoughts and attitudes in the light of your purity, as we sang, Lord God. I pray for all of us, Lord, today, that we would not take this as for the other person, but for ourselves, And that you, Lord God, if indeed marriages are in troubled waters, that today would be the day of which you begin to restore the years that the canker worm has eaten. That today would be the day of hope 
because that's the business that you're in, Lord God. And so speak to us. We ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. The title for today is Christ's Likeness in Relationships. Christ's Likeness in Relationships. Our text is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23, 6 to 9. Or chapter 25. There is no chapter 25 in Ephesians. Chapter 5, verses 23 to 29. Or 22 to 6, 9, I'm sorry. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as a bondservant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that in him there is no partiality. It's the word of the Lord. May add his blessing to it. You can can be seated. Sorry. There are three points of which we'll use to outline and under our, understand our text for the next two weeks, marriage, family, and work. Today, we will only deal with marriage. If you remember, we were told to be an imitator of God. To be an imitator of God means that we live out our faith in real life in real time. I like what Ian Hamilton says in his commentary. The spirit-filled life is not to be lived in a vacuum. It is to be lived out among the people of God within the family and in the workplace. We're to live out our faith in real time, in real space. We're to live it out in the family, in the church, and in the workplace. Today we'll deal with the idea, the subject of marriage. 
Marriage is our first point, and only point for today, actually. Marriage was instituted by God at creation. Marriage as a divine institution is to be between a man and a woman for life or until death do us part. And we must be very clear when we talk about the roles of men and women as established by God. The passages in Scripture about the roles of men and women were never meant to be interpreted as a man being superior to a woman. That is not what Scripture teaches. The Scriptures teach that God in His wisdom has ordained distinct divine roles for men and women. It is not that one is greater than the other. That is unbiblical. Both men and women are equal in worth because both are created in the image of God. Both men and women are equal in their need for salvation because both have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Both need redemption. When the distinct, divinely instituted roles of men and women are twisted or reversed in a society, that society is under a curse from God. It is no different for the divine institutions of the church and family. Adam was given the role of headship in creation. Adam was to lead and protect the creation God put under him. This included Eve. The role that God gave to Eve was that of a helpmate, one who would come alongside and complement Adam in his God-given role of headship. This truth is seen in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, too, have dominion over fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's purpose is for the husband and wife to be in partnership with each other. Husbands and wives together are to run the homes. The husband has been given the role of headship or final authority. It does not mean that the wife does not have any input. Of course she does. Decisions should be made together through prayer. The husband, when it talks about submission, is to be yielded to when there is a disagreement on a particular issue that does, that does not have a clear moral right or wrong according to Scripture. When Adam failed in his role as head over creation and let the serpent deceive his wife, and I honestly believe that, Adam failed. He let the serpent deceive his wife. Adam should have been the serpent crusher, and he failed in his, to do that. So when Adam failed in his role as head over creation and let the serpent deceive his wife so that she ate at the forbidden tree, which he also ate in rebellion against God, the created order was put into chaos. Sin, death, and disorder entered creation. The prince of the power of the air was now in control because Adam handed authority over to him. The distinct divine roles that God had instituted were still in place, but now there was a battle for control. This was part of the consequences of sin. 
Remember what God said to Eve in Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Contrary means to resist authority or control. The God-given roles in governing over creation, the family, and society have been affected by sin. What once gave order, peace, and harmony have now become the source of disorder, lack of peace, and lack of harmony. This is opposite of what God desires for His chosen ones. God's children are to have an attitude that seeks the best for those around them. That was stated in verse 21 of chapter 5. Verse 21 says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's part of being an imitator of God, is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. John MacArthur says this in his commentary, the filling and control of the Holy Spirit will lead us to a spirit of humility, to the spirit that gives us the desire to seek the welfare of others before our own and be mutually submissive. Paul wrote to the letter to the church in Philippi, he wrote this in chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. This is the attitude that we must have in marriages. When we seek to apply the biblical teaching about marriage, children, and work, it must be out of concern for the well-being of our spouse, children, and co-workers. The greatest commandment must be at the forefront of our minds and hearts. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We have no closer neighbors than our family. We have no closer neighbors than our family. So with this in mind, let's exposit. That means to draw out. What is said in the text, we're not to put in what we think about the text, but what God says. Let's draw out what God says about the text. Verse 22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In the original Greek, the word submit is not in verse 22. It would actually read like this, Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Then you're adding yourself, you may be asking yourself, why the adding of the word submit in our modern versions? Well, you need to remember that Koine Greek was not bound by punctuation and verse numbers like our Bibles are. In his admonition to husbands and wives in submission and love, Paul is actually continuing what he said in verse 21. It's actually a continuation of verse 21, which says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. To get the full understanding of of what is actually meant here, we need to go back to verse 17, where Paul tells us to seek or to understand what the Lord's will is. So it would read like this, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives 
to your own husbands as to the Lord. It is the Lord's will for husbands and wives to, to fulfill their God-ordained roles in marriage. So adding the word submit does not alter Scripture. It is for the purpose of clarity in our modern versions. I said that words would be explained. So what does the word submit mean? Because we already, perhaps, put up walls and barriers to the word submit. I listened to a podcast called Just Thinking, and I would highly encourage you to listen to the Just Thinking podcast with Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison. Three hours, but totally worth it. And they were talking about words and culture. And he said, you know, if I were just to tweet out the word submit, that's all you got to say. And all, a whole flood of answers will come, and probably none of them biblically correct. So what does the word submit mean? God is the author of language. God chose to use the Greek. The word submit is hypotasso. It means to bring into subjection. Bring into subjection. And Scripture is consistent from beginning to end. Submission for the wife means that she is to bring into subjection the natural desire to demand her own way and be, rebellion, and be in rebellion against God's ordained order of the husband as head of the family. That was the effect of the curse, remember. Eve's desire would be contrary to that of her husband. Wives can only bring their natural self into subjection to God's divine role for them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Fulfilling our distinct divine roles is a matter of spiritual warfare. The wife's submission is to be done out of love, not compulsion. As Ian Hamilton states in his commentary this, Submission for a Christian is a voluntary yielding in love. It is not an acknowledgement that the person I submit to is superior to me and that I am inferior to him or her. Submission is to be done whether the husband deserves it or not. Therein lies the rub, does it not? Therein lies the rub. We're to be imitators of Christ no matter what the other person does or does not do. So often marriage is treated like a contract. If you do this, I will do that. Love and affection are earned rather than given. Marriage, as God designed it, is to be a covenant. In a covenant, the, head and, the husband and the wife are to move toward, towards each other in love no matter the response from their spouse. The wife is to submit not so much that she is submitting to her husband, but as to the Lord. And doesn't that actually change everything? Look what it says again in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Every Christian duty is first done unto the Lord. It is the way in which we show... Our love for God, Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will obey me. 
And remember in our studies of 1 John chapter 5, obedience is proof of our love for God. Love and obedience are inseparable in God's kingdom. Love and obedience are inseparable in God's kingdom. And another reason for the wife's submission that Paul gives or God gives to us is because marriage is to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. That Christ is to be the head of the church and the church submits to Christ. Look what it says. For the husband, wives submit to your own husbands as, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and, his, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Again, there's another rub with the word everything. Everything here does not mean everything the way we understand it. If a husband were to ask his wife to do anything contrary to the clear commands of Scripture, the wife is obligated to refuse. She should refuse in a loving and gracious way so as not to dishonor Christ. If a husband is abusive, the woman should get herself and her children, if she has them, out of harm's way. Do not submit to such a person. What does a woman do if her husband is not a believer? The principle does not go away. God's natural order of headship is for all people, saved or unsaved. And I understand it is a hard thing to not be able to share the joys of Christ with your spouse. If that's you today, remember that Christ loves you and gave himself for you. And he does give the grace to endure. Obey Christ and let God do the work of convicting and drawing. As it says in 1 Peter, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That's what God says to wives. But what about husbands? What does God command them to do? Since it is not to submit to their wives, for that would be to abdicate headship, what is the husband commanded to do? The husband is commanded to emulate the fivefold love of Christ has for his bride, the church. The husband is to be loving, giving, sanctifying, cleansing, and presenting his wife. He is to love. Look what it says in 525. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The word love, agapao. To have love for someone or something based on sincere appreciation and high regard. To love. To regard with affection or loving concern. To love. The husband is to love his wife in the same manner in which Jesus loved his bride, the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We see already that the wife submits to the Lord and the husband loves as the Lord loves. It is for the Lord, first and foremost, 
that submission and love are given. Love is proved in the giving of oneself. Paul had already told us that an imitator, that to be an imitator of God means that we love as Christ's love in the giving of himself. And so we see the second principle for heaven, the second admonition of giving. We're to love as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? What does it look like that Christ loved the church? He gave himself for the church. Look what it says in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now when we think of Christ giving himself up for the church, we automatically think of Christ dying on the cross for us. Dying for someone, of course, is the greatest expression of love for a person. Jesus says, and greater love has no one this than that someone lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. And I suspect here today that no husband here today, at least I hope you wouldn't, would shy away from protecting their wives and children from physical harm. I hope that you would defend your wife and children to the death if, God forbid, you should ever have to. But there is far more to giving yourself for your wife than dying for her. The sad fact is, is you could give your life for your family and the wife never feel that you love them at all. James Boyce says this in his commentary, the greatest expression of love is not that it gives things or even that it gives up things, but that it gives itself. That's how Christ loved the church. There was not one part of Jesus Christ that was not wholly given to the church. Body, soul, mind, spirit, He gave everything of Himself for the church. He emptied Himself, as Scripture says, to take on the form of a servant for His bride. Philippians 2, 7, but He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Husbands are to give all of themselves to serve their wives. Husbands are to serve their wives in love, in the giving of all of themselves, so that she would be sanctified and cleansed. Sanctifying and cleansing. The husband is the life, love the wife so that she is sanctified and that she is cleansed. <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, <coughs> that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might sanctify is one word, hagiazo, to cause one to have the quality of holiness. Husband, we should desire that our wives have the quality of holiness. Jesus asked the Father in His high priestly prayer in John 17 that we would be sanctified through the Word of God. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Husbands are to sanctify their wives through the Word of God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word. And the word washing here is baptism, which means to immerse. The husbands are to be the prophets and priests of their homes. This means that the husbands, as husbands, we are to make sure that the culture of the home is one that is shaped by God's word. We are to show our wives in God's word how much God loves them in Christ and what God requires of them in, the, in their role in the home. The main purpose of the husband's leadership over his wife is so that she would be presented to Christ without spot or blemish. That he would be presenting his wife to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The word present, peristemii. Of course, I looked at it and thought pastrami. It means to cause something to be or to serve as. Let that sink in. To cause something to be or to serve as. Husbands are to make sure that they are loving, giving, sanctifying, cleansing, and presenting their wives to Christ so that they are able to live out their God-intended role for them. So that she or wife can <coughs> not only obey God in the general will for her life, but in her particular, his particular will for her life. Husbands are to do this so that his wife can walk in the good works of which God has prepared for her. Isn't that what Paul said earlier in Ephesians chapter 2? For we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Husbands should be concerned that his wife is as much an imitator of God as possible and as close to God as possible. That there is nothing that hinders her relationship with God that his wife be as holy as possible. Look again what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without what? Spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let's look at this backward for a minute. Husbands, do you present your wife to God in prayer? And I don't mean a quick, you know, Lord bless my wife today, and that's the extent of your prayers. Do you ask God to cause His Word to wash over her and take root in her heart? Do you ask God to sanctify her? Be very specific in, in when you pray for your wife. If you wonder, what am I going to pray for my wife? Maybe this is new to me. I have to start doing this. Well, God has given us a great prayer in the book of Ephesians. It's one that I pray for my wife, and I'm not saying that to brag. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 to 23. 
This is how it would, this is how it would be. It says, I did not cease to give thanks for, and you put your wife's name there. In my case, it would be Eileen. So I'm going to use Eileen from here on out. I did not cease to give thanks for Eileen. Remembering Eileen in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give Eileen the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of Eileen's heart enlightened, that Eileen may know what is the hope to which she has called Eileen. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards Eileen? Because she believes, according to the work of his great might, that he, who, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he's put all things under his feet and given his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. What an incredible prayer. What a powerful prayer to pray for your wife. Pray this for your children. Wives, pray this for your husbands. Husbands, pray this for yourself. Husbands, since you are called to help your wife be what God called her to be in true holiness. It means that you also must be pursuing what you desire for your wife. That's what it means in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Again, the reason to care for and nurture yourself spiritually is because Christ cares for and nourishes the church. And husbands are to be imitators of Christ. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Just as Jesus sanctified himself for the sake of so too, hus- for, for, just as Jesus sanctified himself for our sake, so too husbands are to sanctify themselves for the sake of their wives. Jesus says this in John 17, 19, and for their sake, I consecrate myself. Interesting how Jesus would say he'd have to sanctify himself. The guy who needed no sanctification. But we know what he means, that in his flesh, he would be, he would be sanctified. And he was, he was perfectly sanctified. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. See, marriage is to be the picture of Christ and the church. It is to be a picture of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God came and called sinners out of darkness and into his glorious light. That's what Paul says in verses 30 to 32. Because we are all members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I would highly recommend to you Sam and Debbie Wood's book, What is Marriage, for further clarity on this. The apostle ends with a summary of what he has just said concerning the submission of the wife and the love of the husband. Verse 33 says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The husband is to love the wife, and the wife is now called to respect her husband. And I tell you, ladies, that this is so 
utterly important. The greatest way in which you can love your husband is to respect him. That is to honor him. Never talk negatively about him in front of your children or your girlfriends. If you are critical of your husband publicly or in front of your children, you are not only rebelling against God, you are teaching your children to be rebellious against God. Husbands, it's the same is true for us. If we are dishonoring our wives publicly, dishonoring our wives in front of our children, then we are also in rebellion against God in teaching our children to be rebellious. Husband and wives, as Christ loved us, so we also are to show our love for Christ by loving and submitting as unto the Lord for the glory of God. I like how John Stott summarizes this in his commentary. He says, The apostle began with the couplet, love and submission. He ends with another, love and respect. We have seen that the love he has in mind for the husband sacrifices and serves with a view of, of enabling his wife to become what God intends her to be. So the submission and the respect he asks for the wife to express he asked for of the wife's express. Ah, let me. See. So the submission and respect he asks of the wife expresses her response to his love and his desire that he too will become what God intended him to be in his leadership. I would encourage all married couples to attend our marriage Bible studies when we have them. I would encourage all men to attend our men's studies and likewise the women our women's studies. I would encourage husband and wives to attend Bible study or community group together. Attend both morning and evening services together. Look for ways to come alongside each other and help each other. If perhaps today you're a married couple and you're convicted of not fulfilling your God-ordained role as husband or wife, do not be discouraged. If, however, you're sitting here going, I hope he's listening, I hope she's listening, and I'll tell you, you're already lost. You're already, it's, 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 that's the wrong way to look at it. But if you're convicted about your role, do not be discouraged, but rather be encouraged. Today, God has given you His Word, and He gives you the power to obey His Word. Go home. Talk to each other. Confess to each other. Ask for forgiveness for each other, and pray for each other. Rest in the promise that God will restore the years that the canker worm is eaten as you love Christ through obedience in these matters. Begin a routine of having devotions. Together, I would recommend Sam and Debbie's book, A Time for Three. A Time for Three, Husband and Wife and the Lord. If you're discouraged today because your spouse is not doing what God has called them to do, I understand that it is a heavy burden to carry. But I would also ask you to examine yourself and see if you are truly acting as God commands you. If you're not married today, don't think that this has no relevance to you. Because it does. It's God's word for you, for God's people. Ask God to help you, to prepare you now to be a spouse who follows what God's command should God grant you to be married. The truth is this. Seeking to be holy, no matter our present circumstance is always a profitable endeavor. If you need help 
in your marriage. Maybe you need that referee. And there's a lot of people are there. There's nothing wrong with that. Please come see us. We have free marriage counseling. And BBC, I promise you, we'll do all that we can to help you have a marriage that honors each other and most of all, honors Christ. If you have any questions about anything, please come see me. If I wasn't clear on anything, I would love to bring clarity for you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, maybe it was a lot to take in, but it's your word. It's your truth. May we take it, Lord God. We trust that you have spoken. We ask, Lord God, that these seeds, these words of yours would not be taken by the enemy, that they would not land on hard ground, but they would land on fertile soil. I trust that everybody here wants to honor you. And Lord, there may be hard times ahead in dealing with this. There may be hard times of reflection and repentance. And I pray, Lord God, that you grant us, as you promised, everything that we need to be an imitator of God and do spiritual battle and fulfill your will for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's close in a song. I can invite you to grab your hymnals as we stand and turn to number 259, Angels from the Realm of Glory. 259, Angels from the Realms of Glory. We'll do verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Realms of glory, wing your flight o'er all the earth. Ye who sang creation story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Verse 2. Shepherds in the field abiding, watching o'er your flocks by night. God with man is now residing, yonder shines the infant light. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Sages, leave your contemplations, brighter visions beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations, ye have seen his natal star. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. Suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. 
and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Amen. God bless you all.